whenever he has skated against them. And I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble figuring out because Michigan has no problem scoring on a six-foot goalie, but you put a little midget guy in there, and uh, he, just, he just shuts them down. But uh, that's just going to about wrap things up for this edition of Extra Points. Remind you to tune in to the Daily Sports Report tomorrow evening at 5.15 here on WCBN 88.3. And to listen to Game of the Week Hockey this Friday, Wolverines taking on Northeastern, as we just mentioned. Action getting underway at 7.35. Game of the Week coverage here in the studio will begin at 7 o'clock. So for Tony Bolton, Stuart Zaz, and Rob Salomon, I'm Steve Schuster saying good night, everyone, and go blue. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocks over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Just Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1-0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Bang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. I didn't know which eight bars he was going to cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, The last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Abba. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. Well, the left-wing hippies are back on the air. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. Or I guess tonight it's one hippie. Uh, Jim Dwyer, my partner, uh, has schoolwork, uh, compelling schoolwork, so he'll uh, be back with us next week. So we wish him well. Um, I guess I'll just start off real briefly with the uh, interesting local hysteria about Tiger baseball. Um, It's interesting that after they lost the first game, there were actually some people predicting they would lose the series, uh, even local sports uh, experts, apparently. This is very strange analysis. I agree that last night's game was pretty much a must-win for Detroit, but they won it. And now we're looking at a five-game series. Three in St. Louis. Uh, They'll have a big advantage in St. Louis because of the uh, DH business. And I am in complete agreement with Tony LaRussa about the DH. I think that it's time for the DH to go. Um, The DH, was interestingly, was brought into baseball back in the early 70s as part of a labor agreement, but also as part of a... uh, Attendance booster. Uh, The thinking back then was that the National League had far superior attendance um, numbers, and they needed to uh, come up with a gimmick to help the American League boost attendance. Uh, 
that's not a problem anymore. Um, the American League is easily caught up and maybe even surpassed the National League. Um, I don't know, although the National League still has great baseball cities, and St. Louis is one of them. Uh, there's been a lot of poor analysis about this World Series. I wanted to give a brain damage award out to the Ann Arbor News Sports analysts that somehow gave the Tigers the advantage in every single category except players off the bench. I would sort of disagree with their analysis. I'd, I think that the Tigers have better starting pitching, and because St. Louis's closer is out, a little edge in the bullpen probably. But St. Louis has a fine offense, pool house, this is one of the greatest players that's ever played the game. Uh, he's already shown what he can do. And uh, there are many multi-all-star people on the St. Louis roster. So I wouldn't give the uh, Tiger offense the edge there. I'd actually give it slightly to St. Louis. The question that's just going to come down to at this point is, can the Tigers hit St. Louis's right-handed starting pitching? Um, they haven't looked that great at the plate, if you'll notice, their stars last night, uh, besides uh, Monroe, who's a streak hitter and is on an obvious hot streak, uh, are Casey and Guillen. Uh, they're really only two credible lefties in their order. So because of the way pitching matches up here, it should be a very interesting series. I think it'll go at least six games, and who knows? Uh, probably at this point, game four will be decisive uh, because somebody's going to win tomorrow night. And then game four will determine whether it turns into a three-game series or one of the teams has a commanding lead. I seem to recall, however, that even in 68, the Tigers were down 3-1 to one and came back to win. So let's just hope for a great World Series. And uh, let's just wait and see what happens. Also, let's remember, too, that Tony La Russa is one of the great, greatest managers that's ever uh, been in baseball. Uh, he ranks third all time. His record speaks for itself. He always gets his teams in the playoffs. Uh, they've had some bad luck in recent years with injury problems, and they've had some injury problems this year, uh, which on paper would give the Tigers a slight advantage. But anything can happen in baseball. That's why it's such a great game. Um, of course, uh, the real games... And if only uh, they weren't games, uh, is this continuing uh, fiasco uh, in Iraq. Uh, Frontline last week, by the way, had an outstanding documentary, maybe the best thing that I've seen on Frontline in quite some time, that basically uh, the rough title of the documentary was The Lost Year in Iraq. And it goes into the excruciating details about why uh, the post-war Iraq period has turned into such a mess, such a fiasco. And obviously when you have um, strange signals being sent, um, it's as if George Bush has suddenly decided that they want to leak information indicating that they have a secret plan to end the war in Iraq. Uh, there is no secret plan. The only way to end the war in Iraq is for the American troops to withdraw. And uh, we've argued down here on Gray Matters before that this will not happen under a George Bush presidency unless the funding gets cut off in Congress. One of the leading contenders for the 2008 campaign, incidentally, John McCain, actually wants to put more troops in Iraq. Uh, I don't find that position credible at all. 
and uh, may ultimately doom his uh, presidential nomination, never mind all the problems that he would have in any putative uh, Republican primary. But it was unfortunate last week that we have this Tet Offensive analogy thrown out. Um, Tom Friedman, I guess, wrote this in a column. I didn't see the column. Uh, by by chance, I think it was written the day that my newspaper got uh, lifted by uh, one of my neighbors, but that's okay. Um, the uh, Bush repeated the the analogy on Gray, on on uh, Stephanopoulos's show on ABC. This uh, analogy is ludicrous. Um, the Tet Offensive didn't end the Vietnam War, um, and it didn't even change opinion about the war. In reality, it was a decisive event. What changed American public opinion about the Vietnam War, and the Tet Offensive, of course, occurred uh, in January of 1968, was when Walter Cronkite went to Vietnam as the respected CBS news anchor, the most trusted man in America, as he was called back then. I was lucky to have grown up with Walter Cronkite. And uh, he was the one that basically said that the Vietnam War was unwinnable. When he said that on national television, and he was doing this as, a, as basically a reporter who had gone to Vietnam after the Tet Offensive to understand uh, what was going on, he made the comment, I believe, in February of 1968. And the polling data clearly changed public opinion about the war. But it didn't end the war. Uh, the war didn't end for another five years. Uh, and it only ended when Congress finally cut off the funding. Uh, Nixon and Kissinger, of course, kept the war going. And it's very troubling uh, from the frontline documentary to learn, for instance, that Paul Bremer was a Kissinger associate uh, named as the viceroy of Iraq by George Bush. Jay Garner wasn't even informed about this decision. And one of the striking things about the uh, Frontline documentary about the lost year in Iraq, basically the events of 2003, the events of April 2003 through the uh, turnover of, uh, by the CPA, by Paul Bremer, uh, to the uh, Iraqi provisional government in uh, June of uh, 2004, was all of the miscommunication, all of the conflicting sing signals, all of the nonsensical propaganda that was going on. Uh, the United States, for instance, stood idly by when the looting occurred, and uh, Rumsfeld went on TV and said untidy things happen when freedom occurs. Idiotic statements like this. Uh, Bremer's decision to debathify Iraq society and uh, basically disband the Iraqi army all the experts on this show said that those two decisions were monumental mistakes. The debathification decision, incidentally, was a, uh, a recommendation that Paul Wolfowitz and Douglas Fife uh, had come up with. They wanted to emulate the occupation of Iraq along uh, parallels to America's uh, occupation of post-war Germany. Totally ludicrous. If you will recall... Germany is part of Western civilization. Uh, these analogies to Saddam Hussein and Hitler have always been absurd. And, of course, Bush's claim about the Tet Offensive and some analogy there is equally absurd. Uh, the Tet Offensive had no impact on uh, the elections of 1968 in terms of public opinion. 
And uh, Bush actually should have maybe uh, learned from some of the mainstream reporting that was occurring about Saddam Hussein's military thinking uh, before the war ever started. Saddam Hussein specifically wanted to emulate the North Vietnamese tactics of guerrilla warfare. This is why disbanding the Iraqi military was such a disaster. 300 to 500,000 well-armed, discontented, unpaid um, Iraqi uh, army people uh, pretty much filtered back into society. Many of them became part of the insurgency. The mistakes that were made are just startling, and I highly recommend uh, anybody to recheck this documentary out. I believe if you've got one of your modern computers, you can probably see the whole thing on your computer, frontlinepbs.org, etc. But it's the sources that were used for this uh, outstanding uh, uh, story. People like Michael Gordon, Thomas Ricks, Anthony Cordesman. Uh, Robin Raphael, who is an ambassador, Richard Clark, um, Robert Blackwell, Michael Mafal, Eric, Larry Diamond, Gary Anderson, Dan, uh, James Dobbins, and, uh, of course, Rajiv uh, Chasandra-san, uh, a recent uh, author of The Emerald City. Some of the bizarre uh, things about the qualifications um, the uh, one guy made an interesting comment about some of the people that were picked by the Bush administration to um, basically supervise the occupation. One guy said he had no experience, but he didn't worry about that because, oh, a couple, me and four of my frat brothers are going to be, uh, you know, we're tight. Don't worry about us. We're former frat brothers and we're tight. Qualifications included uh, people's opinions on abortion. They determined, uh, did you vote for the president or not? They sought out loyalty rather than competence. And, of course, America and the Iraqi people have paid a absolutely devastating price for this. Of course, the insurgency started in earnest in uh, late... Uh, well, early August of, of 2003, when the Jordanian embassy was blown up by uh, Zarqawi and his associates. A few days later, there was a massive explosion at the UN embassy, and the insurgency at that point had really uh, gotten underway. This, of course, unfortunately followed George Bush's mission accomplished stunt back in uh, May of 2003. And George Bush's idiotic comment about bring it on uh, to the insurgents. And indeed they have, and we're finally starting to hear mainstream American politicians admit that there's a civil war going on. Uh, the debate about troop strength is uh, very interesting. Paul Bremer wanted more troops. Uh, Rumsfeld and his associates uh, wanted less, uh, thought they had enough, and in fact... It's very odd that Donald Rumsfeld and Tommy Franks were sending signals to the troops that we would be leaving Iraq soon. Um, that's what they were thinking. Obviously, they weren't looking at the grandiose plans of these military bases. In the most recent Harper's Index, by the way, or the most recent Harper's Magazine, I should say, there's a very good piece uh, in uh, the October um, edition 
by George McGovern and William po- uh, Polk, William R. Polk. Uh, George McGovern, of course, was the peace candidate in 1972. He lost uh, the 1972 elections in one of the biggest landslides in American history. The American people had not turned against the war in any effective election situation, so the Tet Offensive was meaningless to the uh, outcome of the 72 elections. George Bush apparently is, is trying to indicate in his comments, his misguided comments, that somehow the Iraqi insurgency is causing the American um, public to turn against the Republican Party and that this is part of their strategy, uh, that the Democrats somehow stand for cut and run. Uh, that's, of course, the election cliche that's been used, the metaphor. And apparently the Bush administration has quietly decided to drop the cliche of stay the course. Uh, exactly what we're doing is unclear. But when McGovern and Polk write, and real quickly, uh, because he may not be familiar to listeners, uh, William R. Polk was a member of the Policy Planning Council responsible for the Middle East and later a professor of history and founding director of the Center for uh, Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Chicago. His latest book on the Middle East is Understanding Iraq. And uh, this Polk-McGovern book, basically is an excerpt of a book that uh, apparently will be published uh, now or shortly uh, by Simon Schuster called Out of Iraq, um, which, of course, is a phased withdrawal plan. But I wanted to read a couple of their comments because I think they're uh, very wise. Uh, These are the men that should be consulted by James Baker and Lee Hamilton. Um, They write, polls show that as few as 2% of Iraq's, Iraqis consider America's, Americans to be liberators. Tell that to Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. Um, Dick Cheney famously said that the insurgency was on its last throes. Rumsfeld claimed that the uh, insurgents were, quote, a couple of few dead-enders. He said that in June of 2003. Bizarre. Uh, Polk and McGovern continue. We suggest that the phase withdrawal begin on or before December 31st of this year with the promise to make every effort to complete it by June 30th of 2007. They talk about the uh, massive expenditures. They point out current U.S. expenditures run approximately $246 million each day or more than $10 million an hour, with costs steadily rising each year. Although its figures do not include all costs and expenditures, the Congressional Research Service listed direct costs at $77 billion in 2004, $87 billion in 2005, and $105, excuse me, $100.4 billion in fiscal year 2006. In other words, those are the last three years uh, of the Iraq uh, war. Even if troop withdrawals begin this year, total costs, including those in Afghanistan, are likely to rise by $371 billion during the withdrawal period. Economist Joseph Stiglitz and Linda Byelms, a former Secretary of Commerce, 
have estimated that staying in Iraq for another four years will cost a trillion dollars. Uh, we're going to be in Iraq, folks, for another two and a half years for the remainder of this bombastic imbecile's presidential term. Um, needless to say, he will not be impeached by uh, the Congress, even if uh, the Democrats make some gains in upcoming elections. They point out, by the way, that one of the biggest problems in Iraq is the perception that we are there permanently. It's interesting that there was a report out last week about sectarian violence that was occurring right outside Balad Air Base. The United States apparently uh, used to patrol this area frequently, and they don't do that anymore. They're hoping that the Iraqis will stand up. We will stand down as they stand up. That's always been the president's mantra, and it has yet to occur. Apparently, they're going to run a Bin Laden television advertisement down the stretch here in the election. Bin Laden, wanted dead or alive. I seem to remember that was George Bush's comment. Bin Laden has been alive and well in Pakistan for the last uh, five years. And, of course, that area of the country is back in the news very quietly over the weekend. Pakistan. A bomb exploded at a bustling market in northwestern Peshawar, killing at least five people and wounding 33 others. Afghanistan. These are from uh, New York Times Wire reports. Eight Afghans working for the U.S. military killed. Gunmen ambushed a car carrying Afghan laborers at the military base, American military base, in eastern Kunar uh, province uh, over the Muslim holiday and uh, eight uh, workers were shot and killed. These attacks are, are, are continuing in Afghanistan, and, of course, the Taliban has re resurrected themselves there with uh, growing discontent, by the way, amongst our allies. When you hear that, uh, that Paul Wolfowitz and uh, Douglas Fife, who, by the way, were involved in the original concept of overthrowing Saddam Hussein, a plan apparently that they worked on with Benjamin Netanyahu of the uh, Likud party in Israel, the former prime minister there and the current leader of the Likud party. This was done back in the mid-90s. They thought, uh, of course, that occupying Iraq could be uh, paralleled to the American uh, post-war occupation of Germany. What, what are they thinking? In the post-war occupation of Germany, the French, the Russians, and the British were also involved Berlin, in fact, was divided into several sectors to accommodate the post-war occupation of uh, Germany. America has no such allies. They have the British down in the corner of Iraq in the Basra region, and apparently they were going to use the Polish government uh, to occupy one of the rural provinces in southern Iraq. The United States had the job of the rest of Iraq, the size of California. Uh, not enough troops. McGovern and Polk in uh, Harper's continued. And I wanted to read this. They said, they're right, the withdrawal of American forces must include immediate cessation of work on U.S. military bases. Nearly half of the more than 100 bases have already been closed down and turned over, at least formally, to the Iraqi government. But as many as 14, quote, enduring bases for American troops in Iraq are under construction. 
the largest five are already massive, amounting to virtual cities. The Balad Air Force Base, 40 miles north of Baghdad, has a miniature golf course, two PXs, a pizza hut, a Burger King, and a jail. Jail. That might be a good place for Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, and George Bush uh, after the Iraq War is, uh, after their terms expire in uh, 2009. Uh, they, uh, McGovern and Polk continue. Another is under construction at Al-Assad. It covers more than 13 square miles, although Donald Rumsfeld stated on December 23, 2005, quote, At the moment, there are no plans for permanent bases. It is a subject that has not even been discussed with the Iraqi government. His remarks are belied by action on the ground, where the bases are growing in size and being given aspects of permanency. This is the mixed uh, signals that are going out. Uh, We get a leaked story this weekend. Um, Just real quickly, it was on the Sunday uh, front page of the New York Times about... uh, um, Well, I'm not finding it. Yeah, here it is. It just says, U.S. to hand uh, Iraq a new timetable on security role. Uh, Washington frustrated. A framework to address sectarian divisions and stabilize the nation. Um, rumblings of uh, a new policy change in Iraq. Uh, yeah, a bunch of nonsense. Uh, we have a uh, a State Department official over the week, um, who, by the way, is now uh, being asked to backtrack from his comments that were uh, uttered on CNN, where he apparently said uh, Mr. Fernandez, who is a... Uh, Uh, director of the Office of the Press and Public Diplomacy in the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs in Washington on an interview conducted in Arabic and broadcast Saturday on Al Jazeera. In the 35-minute interview, Mr. Fernandez, who speaks Arabic fluently, by the way, one of the few in the Bush administration that does, um, one of the problems that America had in Indochina was that we didn't have people that either knew French or Vietnamese. Um, And we certainly don't have enough Arabic speakers uh, in Iraq. Anyway, Fernandez said, um, quote, history will decide what role the United States played. According to the translation by CNN, he said that while the United States had tried its best, its role might be criticized by future historians because undoubtedly there was arrogance and stupidity from the United States in Iraq. Other news sources have translated the remarks in a similar way. Indeed. Arrogance and stupidity. That's, of course, the theme of the Frontline uh, documentary about all of the problems that that occurred. The United States uh, appointed a junior military officer, Ricardo Sanchez, who it turns out, by the way, and I've been reading um, Albert McCoy's uh, new book, A Question of Torture. Uh, He's most famous for a brilliant book uh, on Indochina called The Politics of Heroin, the detailed uh, CIA and American military involvement in the heroin trade uh, that beleaguered American uh, cities back in the late 60s and early 70s. This uh, opium, of course, was being taken out of uh, the the so-called Golden Triangle, an area between Burma Thailand and Laos that uh, the United States uh, CIA and uh, American military were involved in. Um, But he notes, by the way, 
in his new book uh, dealing with the issue of torture because uh, once Abu Ghraib happened, of course, America was uh, finito in Iraq, in my opinion. And incidentally, those detainees that were put into Abu Ghraib, that was a decision uh, made by um, Sanchez and Bremer, who apparently could barely stand one another and couldn't even talk to one another. Uh, they uh, People were rounded up uh, in response uh, to uh, some of the violence in Fallujah uh, that occurred uh, back in uh, 2004 as it related to that uh, incident uh, involving the contractors that were uh, brutally tortured and their bodies burned and you know shown on TV and dragged around and all that stuff, a sort of emulation of so-called Black Hawk Down. McCoy in his new book writes... Indeed, the pervasive influence of the CIA's torture paradigm can be seen in the recurrence of the same techniques used by the American and allied security agencies in Vietnam during the 1960s, Central America in the 1980s, and Afghanistan and Iraq since 2001. Across the span of three continents and four decades, there is a striking similarity in U.S. torture techniques from the CIA's original Kubark interrogation manual to the agency's 1983 Honduras training handbook all the way to General Ricardo Sanchez's order for interrogation in Iraq. Bungling, incompetence, these people that were, that were hired by uh, Bush, Bush of course, uh, as we learned from Paul Bremer, was anxious uh, that, uh, that the Iraqis appoint a leader that would, quote, thank America public for, publicly for invading Iraq. Uh, Bremer, it sounds like, uh, was a man who sort of worked on his own. He had poor consultation with uh, Rumsfeld and uh, the National Security Council. Condoleezza Rice apparently found herself sort of out of the loop, uh, out of the picture. And uh, this... Um, picture from the Frontline documentary is, is, is startling. Bremer, of course, has to even sneak out of Iraq. Um, he leaves Iraq two days early. He publicly tries to appear on a C-130. He goes out the back door and is flown out by helicopter to Jordan, perfectly personifying uh, all the problems that were occurring. Uh, these uh, torture problems in Iraq where the Bush administration continues to claim that we don't torture. Uh, who are you going to believe? Uh, the President of the United States or your lion eyes? It's that simple. Um, it, it's just been a remarkable week and month. Um, 87 Americans dead this month. I heard CNN today report that 650 American troops have been wounded. Some of them seriously. This will go down as the third worst month for the American military in Iraq. And thousands of Iraqis have been killed uh, in this latest uh, military strategy that America adopted some six weeks ago. Oh, we're going to clean up Baghdad. Now, Bob Woodward in his new book, State of Denial, and I'm quoting here from a, a New York Times reviewer, said President Bush emerges as a passive, impatient, sophomoric, and intellectually incurious leader presiding over a grossly dysfunctional war cabinet and given to an almost religious certainty that makes him disinclined to rethink or reevaluate decisions he has made about the war.
What a Perfect Paragraph by Machiko Kukatani, reviewing the Bob Woodward State of Denial book. That is one paragraph that absolutely perfectly describes this moron that continues to occupy the White House and is running around the country trying to resurrect Nimrods, 